0: Montreal needed goal scoring, and they sure got it in the first round of last year's NHL draft. Nashville has some young forwards of its own that will soon have to contribute for a team in the middle of its prime. New Jersey has a lot to figure out, but they have some key pieces on a lot of fronts that can help turn things around. How do their prospect pools match up? Episode 217 of the Lace em Up podcast starts right now. It's time
1: to lace them up.
0: Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Duboff.
0: On today's show, we are going to dissect the prospect pools for the Montreal Canadiens, the National Predators, and the New Jersey Devils, Brett.
1: Yeah, I know. I I wasn't looking forward to previewing the Montreal Canadiens, to be honest, and mostly because they're my least favorite team. I know, I'm biased, but... Uh, they actually have a lot of good prospects that are coming up, so um, I do not look forward to rooting against a bunch of these guys in the future. So that's a big reason why I don't want to talk about them. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take off my Bruins hat and take put on my NHL hat and um, and start reviewing these prospects and talk about how good their pool is going to be in a couple years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, Ottawa's gonna be better, don't worry.
1: Uh okay, Ottawa's another story, I guess. That's I guess their their prospects pool is decent though, but Montreal I think has a pretty good prospect pool either, even still. Yeah. And um, speaking
0: of Ottawa, that'll yeah. be on next week, but yeah. this week. I'm focusing on
1: this week. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and also <laughs> the other factor is like um the a lot of the prospects are American, so um, that we're going to talk about. So that's another factor, too. where it's like, Americans playing on, yeah. a can,
0: on a Canadian team called the Canadians.
1: I know. I was about to say, they should call themselves the Montreal Americans. Huh?
0: Yeah, and, and Carey Price played his junior hockey with the Tri-City Americans.
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, interesting. you did. Okay. Um, And I guess they used to have Max Pacioretty and Alex Galchenyuk, who are both American. They have Gallagher mm-hmm. on their team now. So, they have a couple of Americans still on. Speaking of which... I think
0: Gallagher's Canadian, but anyways.
1: Is he? I thought he was American. Yeah.
0: No, he's a. I'm pretty sure he's Alberta. Pretty well, that sure might he's be, an
1: Alberta yeah, Actually, now that I think about it, you're probably right. Why did I think he was American?
0: B- believe me, if I knew he was American, I'd probably dislike him more.
1: Right, right, right. Just
0: him playing against the Sins all the time.
1: I don't, okay, I thought for some reason I thought he was American. Yeah, I, no. Anyways, um, oh, I've, we forgot to even talk about Jesperi Kakinami in here, but whatever. Uh, that's another okay. one. Um, but uh, anyways, their cap-friendly page here um, is, uh, so yeah, have, they have a not that bad of a lineup here, um, just in terms of free agency uh, this year. Uh, Max Domi is an RFA, that's going to be their biggest one, but of course he's an RFA, so um, there's not too much to worry about there. Um, Charles Sudan is an RFA, and Xavier Oliet, as well as Victor Mete, um, is an RFA. As for UFAs, um, they have Christian Follin, Dale Weiss, and Keith Kincaid are all UFAs. Um... But um, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about Montreal from a contract perspective is um, their highest-paid forward is making five point five million dollars per year, and that's Jonathan Drouin. Um, and Carey Price is making ten point five, which is their highest-paid player by far. And you also have Shea Weber, who's making seven point eight five uh, per year um so those are pretty crazy um but it's not that Carrie price but at the same time like carrie price and shea weber are like the two best players on the team at the moment so uh they kind of do earn that um earn that contract in a way um but it does kind of limit them in a another way too um so we're going to start off with the uh, 2019 uh, first round draft pick and that a lot of people were actually surprised that he actually fell to uh, 14th overall, oh, sorry, 15th overall. Um, and we're going to talk about Cole Caulfield here. Um, and uh, the big reason why I guess he fell was is because he is 5'7", uh, which is pretty small. At the same time, uh, when he was playing for the U.S. national team, um, he had 72 goals in 64 games um, and 28 points of uh, 28 assists. That's 100 points in 64 games. So that's an elite talent level of uh, a player. Um, I guess it's when you're five foot seven, which I believe is even shorter than Callier Yamamoto, um, who's pretty short too um it's like it it can be a hindrance to you even even if you have 72 goals and 64 games on the u.s national team so um so that's the um crazy thing and i guess you can make the case that maybe like jack hughes had uh some help because he was on his line there but um at the same time like 70 if you have 72 goals and 64 games more goals than you have games. Um, odds are you're, you're pretty good. Um, it, no matter who your line mates are. Um, and then uh, this year, uh, he played for University of Wisconsin. Um, and he and he also had a point per game his freshman year, uh, 36 points in 36 games. Um, and he also played in the World Juniors where he had two points in five games uh, he recently, um, he recently, uh, said, stated publicly that he's going to take another year at Wisconsin, um, even though he is better than <laughs> like that in terms of a skill level. But I think it does show something of like a maturity level that he is willing to, uh, play another year at Wisconsin. And I would imagine he'll, we'll see him the year after that, um, and I guess there, I, I guess the only big, like, thing to consider in terms of like the jump to what he's going to be on Montreal is he's probably going to be their best winger. Um, but at the same time, as I mentioned, he's five foot seven, um, and uh, it's I don't know if that's necessarily going to be. Uh, uh, that doesn't always like I do talk about how like Johnny Gaudreau and um, you know even like Nikita Kucherov, Connor Garland now There you know you can be short and be good in this league, um, but it's still it's still something to keep an eye on for sure. Like if the, if he's not going to do well in the NHL, that's going to be a big reason for it is his size, um, but. And also Montreal in particular, um, we don't know about like their center situation. Uh, They try to put uh, Max Domi and Jonathan Drouin at center. That hasn't always looked great. Uh, Philip Deneau is a good center, um, but that's not, um, that's interesting too. As well as like um, Jesperi Kotkinemi who, we haven't talked about, but he was demoted um, in the middle of the year last year. Um, and when he was in the league, he he didn't have a ton of ice time because Claude Julien doesn't like young players. So um, uh, I think the whole center situation is going to be something that we'll probably talk about, and it may have an effect on someone like a winger like Cole Caulfield will be um, in the NHL.
0: Yeah, the important thing to keep in mind when it comes to Montreal Canadiens is they're starving for goals, they need goals, and this guy scores goals, and he scores a lot of them, you would expect, okay, you have 25 to 30 goals at the high school level, okay, a lot of talented people that have NHL dreams have good high school numbers. you know at their bantam level or their midget level the numbers are off the charts pretty crazy yeah but getting over 70 goals at the U.S. national development program is unheard of it it is just a -a one-of-a-kind experience a -a one-of-a-kind season Uh, a lot of talented players on that roster we always mentioned about jack hughes uh and we also talked about trevor zegris we talked about alex turcott cole caulfield was the finisher he was the guy finishing a lot of those plays and scoring the goals and it might give you the impression oh he's just a one-dimensional player you know all he does is score goals what else does he do um he he does a lot of other good things he is a guy that seems to thrive under pressure is very tough to contain um from a defensive standpoint um according to what elite prospect says he's uncomfortable having the puck in his own end for very long and he'll make the extra effort to pressure around the blue line and take away cross ice options so he's got a bit of a defensive mindset and trying to break things up for the other team and trying to create chances for his team. So that's good. He does some of the little things right that you would expect out of your players. So he, he plays a decent team game on top of scoring all those goals. Now taking a look at what he did at the international level because the national numbers are what they are. They're absolutely amazing. 44 goals at the U-17 level in 2017-18, plays a bit at the U-18 level, gets 10 goals in 19 games there, and then erupts for 72 goals the following season with the U-18s. But his rookie year with Wisconsin, he had 19 goals and 17 assists in 36 games, 140 shots on goal. 13.5 A 13.5 shooting percentage an average of 3.88 shots per game scored seven power play goals and was credited with two game winners that is rookie numbers for cole caulfield so imagine the kind of leap he could take next year um with the wisconsin and to be frank wisconsin i correct me if i'm wrong brett i don't think they were that good in the standings this no, year there they were they weren't. a lot of good teams there they were kind of like they're kind of like middle of the pack at best but they they definitely weren't the juggernauts um like north northeastern was in the past or like boston college or denver they yeah. weren't in that echelon of teams um even still, though, Caulfield put everyone on notice. Finished the year 12th in goals, 27th in points, 19th in goals per game. Um, like most goal scorers, though, he did have his rough patches. He won goalless eight times in 10 games after scoring eight goals in his first seven. Uh, he found the back of the net five times in a five-game span from January 24th to February 7th but then went goalless in eight of his final nine games to close out his freshman year. Uh, So overall, uh, in 13 of games, he found the back of the... Um, And after the three multi-goal games to open the season, he only had two multi-goal games after that. So there were some negatives there, but I think the positives outweigh those. Um, And I explain why. Here's how his pointless skids break down. Two games, one game, one game, one game, two games, one game, three games, two games. So half of the times he didn't go without a point, his skid was over after a game, and he was back in the saddle. Um, He recorded a point in six of his first eight games, 15 of his first 20 to begin his NCAA career. Not too many um, NCAA skaters have that kind of a start. Sometimes it just takes time for them to to really get going um in his first three games i mentioned they were very very good he had six goals and one assist combined over his first three games um there was a game against michigan state in december where he had two goals on a whopping 12 shots so again another case in point of him taking over a game um overall on the season he was held goalless and without a shot on goal on just two occasions and both times penn state was the team that was able to contain and eliminate Caulfield completely. And he only took three minor penalties. So he's a pretty disciplined player as well. So if that's what Cole Caulfield is offering in year one with Wisconsin, I'm really intrigued to see what he can bring next year and what he can bring to the Canadians moving forward. I definitely anticipate that when he does turn pro a year or two in laval is going to be necessary i think for a goal scorer confidence is everything you don't want to rush that if you're montreal especially given the fact that reliable goal scorer like someone that can pile 200 plus shots 30 plus goals i think caulfield can be that type of a player um and he's got a wicked release he's got a very good wrist shot um, it's lightning fast, he can fire it with laser-like precision. Um, just a, just an absolute game changer for this offense. And typically, I, I know there are some options in their prospect pool, but there aren't too many that stand out as well as Caulfield. My big question for Caulfield is when he is NHL ready, what role are going to, are they going to thrust him into? Because Caulfield, as you know, is a right winger. And there is another guy who plays right wing for the Montreal Canadiens, who I would argue is one of the ones in the league in Brendan Gallagher. This guy, over the past three years, anywhere upwards of 270 shots, scored 30 goals each of his past two seasons well on track to do the same this year um if he didn't get 30 he would be very close to 30. and his very cheap contract is going to be up in july 2021 and he will be a free agent so he can sign anywhere he wants to so depending on how soon montreal um is able to handle that and if by soon they can handle it and gallagher is no longer on their team and he goes to the highest bidder, all of a sudden Caulfield could be their number one right winger sooner than we think.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that happening where he's definitely in the top six lineup. Um, it's just how good he'll be is the question. Um, and uh yeah, for the record, mm-hmm. I looked this and, up. Sorry, what?
0: And also um how they slide. Sell- and in Nick, Nick Suzuki is going to be interesting too because he's had True. a pretty good year but is he get, is he better suited on the wing as opposed to down the middle that's another yeah. question.
1: Yeah and I've mentioned him before too in this but like Hockey and Emmy is like is that experiment uh, still going to work yeah. out or not so uh, he was good his mm-hmm. rookie year but then uh, he kind of fell off this year so um, yeah. I, I looked at out just really quickly that Wisconsin was last in their division in the Big Ten there's only seven mm-hmm. teams in that division and they went 14 20 and 2 um, so um, and that's with Alex Turcotte and Cole Caulfield so that's just a little a yeah. little bit of an interesting thing here um, all right so the next guy we're gonna talk about is Ryan Poiling um, so he kind of made waves uh, last year because in, in the last game of the season, he had a hat-trick. Um, and uh, so we all thought, like, oh, I guess he's, he's already going to be pretty good um, for the next year. Um, but then uh, he plays 27 games for Montreal this year, um, and he had two points there. Um, and I think that's kind of what we all expected out of him. Um he played for the the Laval Rockets though. Um and he had 13 points in 36 games. Um which is uh which is uh not bad. Uh but um also I guess I kind of went out of order here. Uh, cuz he, he played for the Saint Cloud State University uh for th- three past years. Um, He had 31 points in 36 games his junior year. Uh, His sophomore year, he had 31 points in 36 games. Um, And then he also, um, and then his freshman year, um, and that was his drafted year. Remember we talked about this a bit uh, during that, um, during that draft recap thing was that he played, he had 13 points in 35 games for St. Cloud. But the fact that he was a freshman and he was getting better I was thinking, like, oh, this guy actually could be pretty good. Um, And I was going to follow him up. Um, He ended up playing in the World Juniors uh, the last two times. Uh, The first one, he had uh, three points in seven games. Um, And then this this past year, or the 2018 2019 World Juniors, uh, he had eight points in seven games in the World Juniors. So that's another reason to. The Canadians were kind of excited about him. Is like, oh, maybe he he does have some more offense to him, um, but like I was just reading all these scouting reports and and things of that nature, and I think they project him more to be a two-way player, um, someone who has that um, you know who can play both offense and defense, um, so that. That would lead me to believe that he is a cent- He is a center and that's someone that the Canadians are desperately need and they've been looking for a center for like the last, I don't know, it feels like the last five years or so um, that they've been looking for a center. Um, but I, I don't think this guy is it just yet um, because he is more of a defense or they're they're making him more into a two-way player versus just a mostly offensive player. Um, however, that doesn't mean that I think because the Canadians are so short on centers in the first place that they, like, they're like they forcing Jonathan Drouin to play center when he, that's not his natural position. Um, I think that can... Lead to good things for Ryan Poiling where he doesn't have as much competition and he could be in the top two lines, uh, purely because he there isn't a ton of competition. I guess Kotkin and me, Philip Deneau, who has two another year after this, Nick Suzuki, as you mentioned. Um, so, uh, maybe I guess it's those three, but that he has to compete against, but. Um, I could see him being like a top, like a second line center at best and maybe third line center at worst, which isn't bad.
0: Yeah, Ryan Praline is a very interesting case. Um, Especially when you take a look at his college stats, um, his shots on goal in particular, they're kind of low. And his goal scoring, in all honesty is also a little bit low but his shooting percentage is pretty good in his college career his shooting percentage over his three seasons was 15.8 percent it was 18.9 his first year it was 20.3 percent his second year and his career percentage in the ncaa could have been better if not for his 10.3 shooting percentage of, in his final year uh face-off wise Um, Only one of his three seasons, he finished over 50% in the dot, 45.8% successful year one, 52.3% successful year two, 48.6% successful in year three, so a guy that could uh, could deep some big goals, chip in on the power play, get a couple of shots here and there occasionally cash in just just a quiet fringe point-per-game player that's that's kind of what uh, ryan paling uh, reminds me of a little bit um but he does bring a kind of edge to his game that i think montreal is is gonna like um he makes up for his foot speed with a great hockey sense his work ethic is very strong um which if any coach loves a guy with good work ethic um, he's someone who controls the puck very well, plays a sound game positionally, especially coming back into to his own end. So, like you said, a guy that focuses on defense and not just offense, um, and he can create turnovers on the back check as well. He's created a good habit at that. So um all the more reason um his nhl debut definitely unforgettable especially when you make the leafs look bad um very right. easy to generate nationwide attention Ninth. Uh, that's a decent shooting percent not even average 1.5 shots on nothing it's 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 pretty decent and two of his five goals have been power play markers so again when put on the power play he can do damage and shockingly enough i was looking at laval stats and i'm just thinking well they're the the leading score doesn't have that many points they're not very good but i look throughout the rest of their lineup and there's at least 10 guys with at least 20 points so they definitely have a lot of depth there and i checked the record and they're actually above 500 um so so they're they're doing a little bit better than i thought but uh, they weren't doing all that well in previous years and in order for them to keep doing better and for the Canadians to keep doing better, Ryan Paling uh, eventually is going to have to step his game up because I think there is still a couple more levels that we haven't seen from Paling, and he's just barely scratching the surface of what he can of, of what he can become as a player.
1: Yeah, I think that I think the thing that's kind of interesting about Paling is is that his freshman year in college he wasn't doing so well, but then. Um, like, his sophomore year was when he really took off. Um, yeah. So I think that the same could apply for um, the AHL and maybe what he's eventually going to do in the NHL, where he'll need a couple of seasons to get used to everything. But then once he's accustomed to everything, then he will that's when we'll really see him become something. But that's if, like, all things go right for him. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And,
0: and it also doesn't help, like you said, the fact that Claude Julien doesn't tend to put his young guns into yeah. big situations. Like, you take a look at some of the guys that Ryan Paling played with. Um, no offense to Paul Byron, he's a good player, but yeah. Nate Thompson, Arturi Luckinen, Nick Cousins, during his first four games. In his next 12 games, he got 10 shots, but didn't get a goal, didn't record a point, Only got a slight increase in ice time. And and even then, his ice time wasn't really that significant. I don't think it even hit 11 minutes this year. Right. So it's not a big surprise to me that he only has two points in 27 games this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I think that's another thing is ice time. I, I guess you can say the same for literally all these. Um, prospects. Yeah all, all, yeah, all the
0: promising prospects that just haven't found their groove in the NHL. That was
1: literally the thing that annoyed me the most about Claude Julian when he was the coach of the Bruins is he never played the prospects the minutes that they deserved. Um, like, I, I guess, that I mean, a lot of teams do that too. So, I mean, take that with a frame of, uh, grain of salt. But I think it was a big reason why Tyler Sagan even um, – had a bad taste in his mouth is because uh, Claude Julien would put him on the fourth line even though he did nothing wrong um, so uh, there, he Claude Julien tends to favor a lot of veteran players um, and so that's just something to take into account um, in the future um, speaking of which I guess, can we just do like a little bit of a short little thing about Kotkinemi, because I can't believe I forgot yeah, about yeah, him. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Uh, well, the reason why, to add to your point, the reason why you probably forgot about him is because he's in the AHL right now.
1: Yeah, I know. But the thing is, is that I noticed on, in, when I was looking at the Laval Rockets, Rockets stats here, he has 13 points in 13 games here. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah, in the Laval rackets. So that's that's rackets. Um, my Boston accent's coming in, um, but like, so his rookie year, he had 34 points in 79 games, but like that was in 13 minutes of ice time. Um, and so, but you're still thinking like that shows some promise because he's only 18 years old at the time. The uh, it's like Montreal Canadiens have been look. This is the center that they've been looking for, and then. This year, he he still gets 13 minutes of ice time on average, but he gets eight points in 36 games. So something happened where I'm not I'm not entirely sure what happened, but um, I feel like there there should be a bigger story here or something we'll eventually figure out. But uh, they eventually just send him down to the Laval Rockets, and um, and then he does well there. But it could be like a um, you know, he was drafted third overall um, on Montreal, so they could have drafted guys like Brady Kachuk, Quinn Hughes, um, but the uh, the Canadians definitely needed a center um, at the time, even though, I guess it was controversial at the time, because like Brady Kachuk, Zadina, Hughes, um, even Barrett Hayden were all like, you know, like supposedly better than Kotkinemi at the time, but once Kakinemi played in the league before a bunch of those guys anyways and he kind of proved that he was good um or that he there was something there um his rookie season um and there is definitely some opportunity for him because as i've been mentioning this might be my 10th time mentioning it but the canadians are desperate for centers so um so like there is opportunity there. But as we've mentioned before, Claude Julian, like, he's not uh, – he doesn't tend to start players like that. That's just his thing. Um, and I guess something happened where he's – he even his rookie year, he only had 14 minutes of ice time. Um, so uh, maybe there's just some I, – I would bet, knowing Claude Julian that uh, – like, he has a high, like, once he Kaikinemi just got into Julian's doghouse and uh, never was able to get back out of it for the rest of the season or something like that. So that would be my guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and um, it, it, it's kind of tough for, for players uh, that age because sometimes – they're very streaky they're very hot and they're very cold so one week you could be on top of the world the next week uh, you could be playing on the fourth line and yeah even even look at Ryan Paling in his um, in in his contests in the AHL Um, his first three games didn't get a point then he got a point in four straight games and five of his next six then went eight in a row and 11 of his next 12 without a point then got a point in four of his next five, and then he recorded a point the day before the season stopped, and that broke a nine-game pointless draft. So yeah. uh, it, it, it was either you're hot, you're hot, or when you're not, you're not.
1: Yeah. Um, so now we're going to go to Keaton Premu. I actually watched a bit of his games when he was in Northeastern his last year there so I have some experience of watching him live. Um, and he's a pretty good player. Um, I'm jealous Montreal gets to see him play. Um, however, uh, well, first off, I guess I should mention that uh, for Northeastern, he had uh, a 2.09 GAA, a save percentage of 9.33 in 36 games. Um, and then uh, he really took like the world's attention when he played for the World Juniors that year, um, because in those five games, he had a 9.36 save percentage and a 1.61 GAA in five games, of course, small sample size, but again, it's the World Juniors, so it's still, you're playing against a lot of like elite prospects. Um, So that's pretty good. Um, The thing with Montreal is, is that they have Carey Price uh, for like six more years. Um, at 10 million, um, kind of like a uh, same thing as uh, Sergey Bobrovsky in Florida. Um, so I'm not sure when Caden Premium will even be, um, no matter how good Caden Premium is at Laval, um, I'm not sure when we'll ever see him become the starter in Montreal. Um, it could take some time there. Uh, but like, cause at best, uh, with that contract that Carey Price has, um, at best, Carey Price will just be the 1B type player, um, or like in terms of a starting role. So maybe that's what they're hoping for, that eventually Kaden Premu will take about like 40 games from Carey Price, um, and that's that could work out for them because uh, that is eventually, that is kind of what this league has been uh, looking at for the last couple of years with like Halak and Rask or uh, um, even like Lennar and uh, Grice a couple of years ago when Leonard was on the Islanders, uh, Varlamov and Grice, uh, that has worked well too. Um, I'm sure there's other examples that I'm blanking on but uh so maybe they do that um I also before I get to you I, I didn't even mention the stats that he did this year um he uh I got ahead of myself uh he has a um in 33 games for the Laval Rocket, Rockets um he has a 2.45 GAA and a save percentage of 908 um, but so that's not great, but it's not bad either. Um, and this guy is only twenty years old, so there is a ton of time. And it's hard to really know about goalies, but I I think this guy could be the goalie, the future. Um, but the tough thing is de- dealing with Carey Price's absurd contract.
0: Yeah, the hilarious part about Primo is like he was a seventh round pick. Yeah,
1: that's another sixth thing too. Seventh
0: round pick, yeah. And before he went to Northeastern is when Montreal took him. So yep. they, they saw, uh, oh, yeah, maybe you should take a goalie. Couldn't hurt. So, okay, we'll take this Caden Fremont kid. You know, he could be right. And it uh, turn, turns out to be more than something. Could, could be their goalie of the future. Um, Northeastern, it's key to remember this. Since 1988, they hadn't won the Beanpot Championship. And with Caden Primo as their goalie, they won it in back-to-back years. And he brought a lot of success to their program. He ranked third in wins this year across the entire NCAA and uh, tied a program record with 25 wins. This was despite, by the way, an increase in average shots per game. Um, in 2017, 18, he faced 27.4 shots per game. He faced 30.5 this year and still posted a safe percentage over 930, still posted a GAA of 2.09, slightly higher than um, his rookie year, but 1.92 is pretty crazy for a rookie year. Um, and, he, and he also loved to play against the big local competition and he loved to beat them. Um, there were times in his second year where he beat Boston College or not he beat boston university but his team beat boston university his team beat boston college and he played a pivotal role in a lot of those games um that that they won and um, there were other games as well where he was the reason why his team won he would be you know a top 10 goalie in goals against and save percentage throughout the year he was a, a very consistent performer uh in uh, January nineteenth, uh, uh, this was this year. Uh, he stopped forty-five of forty-six shots against UMass in an OT win there. Um, uh, more Boston University defeats, um, or more Boston University falling to Northeastern because of Caden Primo. Um, Boston College also fell victim um you, you look at his resume not for, forget team usa winning silver forget his strong performance there in 2018-19 he was the beanpot mvp the hockey's tournament mvp a three stars winner and for the second year in a row he was a first team all-star like that that is a banner season for gaydon primo all around and then you go to his lone season with Laval to date. Um, and Caden's just been the backbone of this team. Um, I, and probably the big reason why they're not doing worse than where they are right now. Um, record-wise 17-11 in 3 over 33 games, 2.45 GAA, 908 C percentage, and 4 shutouts. He leads all rookie keepers in the AHL and goals against average ranks ninth overall, 15th in wins. Facing just over 25 shots per game, which is just outside the top 20 for most shots faced a year. Um, definitely gives a lot of hope for the Canadiens fans wondering what, what's life after Carey Price going to be like. Like, yeah, okay, he might... He might be not playing to his expectations, but he's still carry Price. And if he's still on his game, we have a chance to win every single night. But what happens if he's not, not there, period? What if he's right. not on our team anymore? Then are we going to go to Cherry Lindgren? Are we going to hope Keith Kincaid has a <laughs> career resurrection? Right. <laughs> with the, with his emoji Twitter game? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the reason why they also got this Russian goalie named... Vasily Demchenko and prior to this year in four straight KHL campaigns he had a GAA below 2.5 um in order the past four years 2.32 GAA 2.15 2.45 2.2 save percentage at worst was 922 and that was his first year ever since then it's been a 930 save percentage but this year, he split time with two different teams. His GA was above two point seven. He's twenty six years old. By the end of the one year contract, he signed with Montreal. He's going to be a UFA. So, like even then, it, this is just a short term solution that is probably not guaranteed a spot on the Habs just yet. I would still give Caden Primo at this point uh, the inside edge on on the goaltending. Yeah, just. If he can even play 25 to 30 games to give Carey Price a break to keep him well-rested, because that's that's part of the problem with right. the Montreal Canadiens. Carey Price has played too damn much because they have no backup. They have no reliable backup. And you look at the Boston Bruins, Jaroslav Halak, the reason why they're good is because Jaroslav Halak has been a good plan B option for them He's given Tuukka Rask many, many attempts to rest up and recoup and get ready for the next game. And Montreal hasn't had that. Florida hasn't had that. And look where they are. Their goaltending hasn't been that good because their goaltender has been overworked. So I think for the first couple of years when Caden gets his chance in the NHL level, he will probably be asked to be a solid backup to Carey Price. But I think there will come a day where it's his time to officially take the reins from Price and increase the he has.
1: Yeah, the thing with Carey Price's contracts, jeez, is that I should have just pulled up his page here. Uh, he has eight more years left on his contract and he's uh, 30 years old right now. So, um, so the fact that, like, I mean, he had a decent year this year, I believe, but. Um, not like what we were used to a couple of years ago when he was like a brick wall, basically. Um, yeah,
0: in fairness, a couple of years ago was superhuman Carey Price. Yeah, for
1: sure. And then like a couple of years ago, he basically disappeared um, or just wasn't as good. Almost immediately after he signed this huge contract, um, I remember at the time we were all thinking like, oh, like, that's a lot of money, but Carey Price is one of the best goaltenders in the league, so it's kind of worth it. But at the same time, like now, after we after a couple of years on that contract, you're just thinking like, okay, this might be one of the worst contracts of all time if Carey Price uh, declines even further. So yeah, they you're right. They definitely need Kaden Primu to be um, a legitimate player now. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to rush a goalie either. So, um, so I think they have to be careful with what, uh, they do with Caden Primo. Um, but like they kind of screwed up the whole dynamic with Carey Price's contract situation where like, what if Caden Primo does really well and then they can't afford him when he's like an RFA, um, Sometime down the line, that's that's going to be an issue, um, and something they're going to have to think about because uh, they might not, they might have to like be forced to trade him, um, eventually. But I guess that's something to think about in the best case scenario. Um, all right. Also, I wanted to mention that Caden Primo. If that name sounds familiar, the last name, it's because yep. it should be. His father was Keith Primo, who was a very good player. He was the captain for the Flyers for four years in uh, the early 2000s. Um, and he also played for the Red Wings in the 90s as well. So um, so <laughs> I guess it runs in the family. Um, all right, uh, let's go to Alex. We have two more prospects for the Canadians, but I think because I talked about Kotkinemi for longer, we should just do these last two pretty quickly. Um, uh, Alexander Romanov, um, so for um, he's he's pl- the last two years, he's played for Siska Moskva, um, which is a prominent KHL team, if you guys are not aware. Um, and if you just look at his stats just Based off of anything, uh, just from his KHL stats, you'll just be like, oh, he's, that doesn't look so good. Why are they even talking about him? Because uh, he had seven assists, no goals in 43 games for Moskva. Um, he also had four points in 43 games uh, the day before. First off, you have to consider the fact that he's like a nine, he's a 20 year old playing in a professional hockey league. Um, where a bunch of the guys are like 30 years old or even older than that Um, so you have to consider that he's much younger than a lot of these players Uh, so even putting up any points is pretty impressive the other factor is and according to um, according to uh, hockey news I read a quote from Bergevin here Um, he's not a player that's going to run huge numbers Bergevin said but he's a player that's going to close his gap, good first pass, and in your face. Um, so he's, uh, he that links to me that he's, he's very good defensively as well. Um, and also, he uh, if you look at his World Juniors numbers, he's been even more impressive uh, just in terms of the offensive totals. So you can tell that he does have some offensive upside in the World Juniors. Uh, this year he had six points in seven games. Um, and the year before that he had eight points in seven games for, uh, team Russia. Um, so it's kind of like a weird little Jekyll and Hyde where I'm not entirely sure what to expect out of him. Like, is he going to be an offensive player? Is he just going, or is he just going to be like a, like a good defenseman, like shut down defenseman? Um, that we, like, it's a good thing if we don't hear his name a lot. Um, but I I would tend, but at the same time, when you look at their contract, the Canadians, or just the defensemen in general, Canadians pretty much have Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie, um, and a bunch of other guys that are okay, but kind of replaceable, to be honest. But um, so, so there is room for Alexander Romanoff to become like a predecessor of Shea Weber. Um, and it, like, just looking at all the prospects that the Canadians have um, in their system Josh Brooke, Matthias Norlander, um, even Jaden Strubel, who will be a couple of years away. Like, you know, those defensemen are not, I mean, they're okay um, and they could be good eventually, but um, I think. Uh, the the closest in terms of skill um, could be uh, Alexander Romanov um, in terms of being the prede- predecessor of Shea Weber um, eventually.
0: Yeah, uh, if there's one thing I have kind of gotten to know about Alex Romanov is TSN's Craig Button is a big big fan of his work. Um, he 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 had him uh, ranked. I think in his list of top 10 prospects, active yep. NHL prospects, he was in Button's top 10. And he described Romanov as a guy that commands games, keyword commands games with his hockey IQ, his enthusiasm, his competitiveness, and his skill level, brings confidence to the ice everywhere he goes, initiating plays instead of waiting for the action to come to him. So definitely sounds like the type of defender that Montreal needs. because. You need, as, as, a, as a team that, on top of goals, needs good, sound de- uh, team defense. You need guys that are willing to engage, that aren't just going to stand around, just going to wait for the shooter to do something. Yep. You, you need guys that are going to pressure the other team, get them off their game. And even if, even if they get a good, sh- even if they get a shot off, it, it, it might not be good, because Romanov is preventing them from getting that perfect shot um and he's kind of in a way similar to grigory denisenko who we talked about last week where the khl numbers don't show it but the world junior numbers certainly do yeah he was uh named top defenseman in 2019 uh he was a tournament all-star he got a bronze medal uh led all skaters forwards defense goalies led all skaters with seven assists Um, And he also had uh, eight points, uh, led all defensemen in that category there. Um, This year in 2020, he had another goal and five assists in seven appearances with Team Russia. Once again, named to to the uh, tournament all-star team. And he got a silver medal this time and also served as an assistant captain too. Um, When you talk about the defensive prospects, Brett, you mentioned Josh, Brook, Kale, Fleury. Um, they're all up there. Otto yeah. Leskin and Gustav Olofsson. The key thing to note is a lot of the defensemen that they have in their system shoot right, but Romanov doesn't, he shoots left Interesting. And here are some of the guys that shoot left that are on the Habs roster right now. Victor Mete, Carl Alsner, Ben Sherratt, Brett Kulak. Xavier Ouellette. So, Kulak, okay. Decent big physical guy, all right. Xavier Ouellette, okay. Ben Sherat actually proven to be a very good addition. Low key, pretty good. Um, but the upside of Romanov, yeah. Carl Olsner, they're paying him a bunch of money to play in the AHL. He's not not even a relevant part of their lineup now. And Victor Mete is banged up. So, at the at worst, Romanov could be on the second pairing in no time.
1: Right, and uh, I bet Bergevin basically said as much. But I think a big reason is well, his KHL contract expired already. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it'll be pretty soon where we'll see that uh, they're gonna sign him soon. So maybe if the uh, if they sign him and there is hockey in the summer. Maybe we'll get to see him play for a bit. That that could be exciting. Uh, well, that's. Sure.
0: I think I overheard. That's another thing is that he would be eager and willing to play for Montreal this year, and right. I think that's where a bit of that's where a bit of the um, um, that's where a bit of the foginess still lingers. Um, yeah. they, they want to have a bit of clarity on the situation before signing on the dotted line there. But it sounds like Romanov wants to play with Montreal this year uh, in, during the 2019-20 season, if he could. Yeah. But, of course, there are a lot of unknowns. that.
1: Of course. So. All right, so then the last guy we're going to talk about really quickly here. Um, he's actually another seventh-round pick here. Uh, mm-hmm. But this was in 2014. Uh, this is Jake Evans. Um, And I I thought because he played college hockey, he was an American player. Turns out he's a Canadian. So I was going to say, like, oh, another American prospect they have. But it turns out he's Canadian, even though he played for Notre Dame um, for a couple of years. Uh, Yeah, not
0: not only Canadian, but from Toronto as well. Yeah,
1: Toronto. Um, I guess most notably from those times in Notre Dame uh, where his junior and senior year where he really took off. Um, his senior year he had 46 points in 40 games uh, his junior year he had 42 points in 40 games so it looks like he's he's going to do pretty well um, then he played for the Laval Rockets um, the year after that so that was the 2018-2019 season um, and he had 45 points in 67 games so that's not bad um, and he played the entire year there um, and then uh for the Laval Rockets this year, I keep on saying the Rockets like like it's a Boston thing. Um, 38 points in 51 games for Laval um, and then he played a couple of games in Montreal 13 in fact. Um, he had two goals and one assist uh, that's three points um, yeah, he was the highest scoring player for the Rockets um and I don't know I think, this guy could be pretty good. Uh, I don't know exactly in terms of de- de- deployment, but I think I- I've just been reading all these scouting reports and stuff and they're saying that like at best, he could be a top six forward, uh, 40 plus points and an all around contributor. And at worst, he will be a fourth line center who can ship in a bit offensively. Um, so I could see it working either way. I think he'll eventually be on the team. Maybe we'll see him uh, later on in, uh, next season. But, um, yeah, I think, like, there, it's not like the Canadians have a ton of great wingers, like we mentioned, with Ferg Caulfield. I guess other than Gallagher, Domi, um, and Tatar, um, they're all going to, you know, I guess... <laughs> it, there is definitely room for Jake Evans to be a part of that. Um, but it's going to take some time. And you never know with Claude Julian. I'm I'm more sour on Claude Julian than I am about the players.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. After uh,
1: watching him coach for the last couple of years.
0: <laughs> I think out of all the guys on this list, this could be a, a very big sleeper prospect yeah. to watch. Uh, you talk about how montreal could use good centermen this guy has turned into a pretty good centerman oh i didn't know, uh, didn't know that <laughs> it, 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 i i will say with an asterisk in 2015-16 they did miss some game stats on the site that i looked uh, for notre dame so they didn't have the full face-off stats there but of the 21-37 games they did show, it says he won 57.6% of his draws. Um, in his third year, he won 57.8% of the draws he took and 55.6% of the draws he took in his final year. So a pretty efficient face-off guy on top of a guy with a decent shooting percentage as well. Um, you, you mentioned the final two years and how big of a contributor he was offensively. It wasn't just the fact that he was contributing offensively. It is also a little bit of when he contributed. There were a lot of big moments that he stepped up and delivered in. And a lot of which uh, happened uh, later in the season. Um, Just taking a look at his... uh, is run in 2017 now with uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. As a junior, he assisted on a game winner in the quarterfinals against the University of Minnesota, sets up the equalizer versus UMass Lowell, which Notre Dame won. Uh, 2017 Frozen Four, they eventually come up short, but um, they they got a couple of big plays from Jake Evans to at least get that far. Um, We then go to his senior year. where he gets things going with a primary assist on an OT winner to clinch a Big Ten regular season title. Then burns Ohio State later in the year by assisting on another extra time goal. That gives them the Big Ten playoffs title. Then he assists on an OT goal in the regional semis. Assists on the equalizer in the regional finals. Wait for it breaks a 3-3 tie with Michigan in the dying seconds of regulation to send the Irish to the national championship game. yeah so it seems to have a flair for those big moments too which um, I think the Habs fans are like color me fantastic I want this kid in the lineup.
1: right. So yeah I think he could be like a core player for them. I could see him being like um, just a piece in their lineup eventually. Like maybe Cole Caulfield's the one right winger and Jake Evans is the second right winger on the line or something in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, something like that. Alright, we're going to go to uh, the Nashville Predators here. Um, I also, while you were talking, I was just seeing if Jake Evans was in any of my dynasty leagues and apparently he is. So, uh, But unfortunately I can't add him just yet. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, let's go to, uh, Nashville here. Um, so the UFAs, they have a couple of guys here. Um, Michael Granlin, Craig Smith, Colin Blackwell, Dan Hamus, and, uh, McCorbinin, Holzer, and Yannick Weber are all UFAs. Um, I guess the big reason, although I guess we're not even... Talking about any of their goalies, but uh, their big year is going to be the year after that when um, Pekarine is going to be a UFA and UC Saros is going to be an RFA as well as Dante Fabro. Um, we didn't talk about him. Uh, that I didn't forget about him, but I don't know if he necessarily counts as a prospect anymore. Uh, but yeah. but the bigger one is Pekarine and UC Saros. Um, are both going to be free agents in two years, and that's something to consider. Even though we don't have any Nashville Predators prospects to talk about, um, I figured we should mention that. Uh, we're going to start off though with uh, Philip Tomasino. Um, I believe. Uh, hold on, Tomasino. Um, he uh, he really took off this year. Um, you, I mean, he was good the year before that, his drafted year for the Niagara Ice Dogs, where he had 72 points in 67 games. And then, um, but this year was when he really blew up. Um, oh, I hate calculating <laughs> when team, when players get traded. Uh, I can't, uh, a hundred, he had a hundred points in 62 games. Okay. I found a yep. different place to find it. Um, and uh that's really good I remember like I, th- I remember I was there was one email that I sent because I don't follow the OHL but I know you do and I remember yep. I saw that like he was traded to the uh Oshawa Generals um yep. and like like the Niagara Ice Dogs like traded like 10 players for him which is pretty insane when you think about it um like, and then you were acting like it was a normal thing, but, um, it was a pretty big trade then, I, I would imagine. Um, but yeah, he, uh, I guess he didn't even play for the World Juniors, but, um, that's pretty good, um, uh, for 100 points in those, in that time frame. Um, yeah, I could see, and then as for his future, I mean... Yeah, Ryan, both Ryan Johansson and Matthew Shane are both making a lot of money and they're both top line centers uh, for some time. So I don't know if he'll ever be in the, like, if he'll ever be a top line uh, in the top six as a center. However, maybe you could move him to the wing. Um, I know Nashville was struggling a bit this year. Um or, like, just were lower expectations than what we were expecting them to be, particularly from Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson. Um, but those are pretty much their only good wingers um, out there right now on the pro roster. So I could eventually see maybe they, they move Tomasino to the wing. Uh, that could be an option for them. Although I'm sure you're going to mention his face-off numbers because I believe the OHL keeps track of that stuff. So maybe he is better than um, Duchesne or Johansson in that regard. But um, yeah, I think at the moment I could see it. um, Maybe they move him to the wing if they want him immediately in there.
0: And so funny you should mention that, Brett. Um, During his rookie season where... He hadn't really shown everyone what he was capable of offensively. That year he had twenty four points in sixty one games, only five goals. 34 uh, shooting goals. percentage below seven percent. You know, it was it was a a typical, you know, Wait, trying to get your feet did wet. You say, did you say did you
1: say twenty four goals or thirty four goals?
0: At twenty four points he had five
1: goals. Oh, oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Okay, sorry, go on.
0: Yeah, he had 24 points in 61 games, he had 5 goals on 74 shots, so that was his shooting percentage of 7%. Um, There is a reason for that. Uh, The Niagara Ice Dogs that year were very, very good, and they had a lot of good players playing for them. They had a lot of offensive depth. You had uh, Sam Miletic leading the way with 92 points. He split time between Niagara and London. Uh, Akil Thomas right behind him with 81 points. Kirill Maximov had 80, Ben Jones had 79. Now, interesting thing Akil Thomas and Ben Jones both play center, like Tomasino. Uh, so Tomasino was the third line center between, uh, um, between Akil Thomas and uh, Ben Jones in 2017 18, and th- those two guys were still there the next year, and then Niagara, on top of that, gets Jackson Nika, who also plays center. So right there, you have Jones, you have Akil Thomas, you have Jackson Nika as your guy. one, <laughs> two, three centers, yeah. And um, they also had Jason Robertson, who plays on the left wing. So where does Phillip go? Right wing. So he's already played on the wing before, and what does he do? scores 34 goals 72 points and gets 200 shots shooting percentage goes through the roof uh power play numbers are pretty good and in the face-offs that he did take he won over 50 percent of them so um the transition to wing isn't gonna be as hard as you might think Brett, because he's already made that transition a little bit and it and it worked to a certain degree and he continued the strong offense going his shooting percentage was around 16 to 17% like it was last year with both Oshawa and Niagara. Um, He had 57 points, uh, 22 goals in 36 games with the Ice Dogs before the trade, Uh, gets 18 goals and 43 points in 26 games with the Generals, Uh, 238 shots on the year, and a respectable power play threat. He had uh, 35 power play points, 27 power play assists, and uh, his faceoff percentage this year uh, he took 900 jaws and won 48 of them so uh not an over 50 uh guy in the dot this year uh so that's that's the one thing but it's not the be-all and end-all of the story because he has played right wing before and he's shown that he can do well while playing right wing and right wing, right, is a very interesting uh, position for the Nashville Predators because they have two pending RFAs that are right wingers. That would be Mikhail Granlund and Craig Smith. So there are going to be some potentially open slots, especially with Nashville trying to stick to the cap. There could be a spot sooner than we possibly think for Philip Tomasino to make his impact in this league the thing is he turns 19 in july is it too soon to thrust a soon to be 19 year old in that position wouldn't it be better to keep him in junior for another year then put him in the ahl and then maybe bring him over there um when the time is right that's that's the only question i have about Tomasito. is when is it a good time to bring him into the fold? i think he could definitely be a top six guy on the wing I don't think at center, but on the wing, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I guess we're in agreement with that then. Yep. Um, All right, the next guy we're gonna talk about is Ely Tolvanen. Um, There was a time period where Ely Tolvanen was like the hottest prospect in the league. Um, And that was mostly because he he played in the KHL for a year. Um, And that was ironically a big reason why I guess what happened was in the 2017 draft, like a day before then, uh, he was a commit to go to Boston College, um, but Boston College denied him for some reason, uh, I guess we never really understood why. But then,
0: yeah, that's that's yeah. interesting because it says on Wikipedia is education's Boston College, and I took to look at elite prospects. I'm yeah. just like, there's no sign of Boston College anywhere. They lied right. to
1: me. Yeah, it's it's because the BC just didn't want him for some reason, <laughs> um, and they that was. But like, yeah, I know, right? Um, and that was a big reason why he even fell to thirtieth overall and then that's when he said like you know what i'm gonna go to k the khl and that's when he killed it um he had uh he played for Jokerit um as an 18 year old um and he had 36 points in 49 games and as i mean we've mentioned before for a lot of these khl players like you know the scoring is pretty low in general for the khl because it is a professional league but because of that like Thirty-six points in forty-nine games is very, very good for the KHL. I believe he sw- set some record in the KHL as well. Um, so like, uh, so like, it looked like the Predators were getting a steal out of him because he fell all the way to thirtieth overall in the first round, uh, pretty much because of what happened with BC um which actually just thinking about it, it's like i could understand why like guys like josh hosang fell or i could understand um even like ryan Merkley, where there's like a per like there is a personality reports like that i mean i guess it is pretty damning if a college doesn't want you anymore all of a sudden but like at the same time it's like <laughs> He, he's going to the KHL. He's still a talented player. That's not like that's not something that's uh you can uh like you can deny even still. Um and you look at his stats. He had like 54 points in 52 games for the, for the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL the year before that. So like he's clearly pretty skilled even still. So that shouldn't have affected too many draft boards, but I guess it did. Anyways, that was like three years ago. Yeah. Um, so we all expected uh, him to be really good after that KHL performance. Um, he even did well in the, uh, the World Juniors where he had six points in five games. Um, and then, uh, so he plays a couple of games in Nashville. He plays three games, he doesn't score but keep in mind, he has 12 minutes of ice time. Um, by the way, I think we're getting into a theme here where, like, there's a reason why a lot of these prospects don't do well. Is if they don't have a ton of ice time, it's like hard to really see why they're doing well. But yeah, he mm-hmm. only played three games there, and he had 12 minutes of ice time. Um, and then uh, they. So the next year, um, he plays. I guess he, he had some points on the board, but he only plays four games, um, and he had one goal and one assist in, those time, in that time period, um, and then he, I guess they just send him down to uh, Milwaukee uh, where he has 35 points in 58 games, that's pretty good. Um, he also plays for Finland in the World Juniors, uh, four points in seven games, so he had a little bit of a worse season than he did the year before that, but... Um, it's still like not bad. He could still be a legitimate player. Uh, this year, he didn't play any games in the NHL, which is kind of interesting. But he still had some pretty good numbers in Milwaukee, um, where he had uh, 36 points in 63 games. Uh, that's not bad, um, and that's decent, I guess. The thing with Tolvanen is that like he's probably not gonna light the world on fire like we expected him to be in the KHL. But, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he does Um, (laughs) at the same time. I know that's contradicting statements here, but uh, that's pretty – that could happen. Um, I think – and then we talked about this before. It's like, you know, you have Philip Forsberg and Arvidsson, who didn't even have that great of a season this year. Um, But, like, in terms of other wingers that they have, it's like Craig Smith, um Michael Granlund, although he may not be on the team anymore, Uh, Colton Sissons, Cali Yarncock, Austin Watson, Rocco Grimaldi. He's like, he he has the potential to be better than all those guys by far. So um, I could see him definitely being a a top six player, um, just given the fact that he is a winger um, and the Nashville Predators need a couple of those kind of players.
0: Yeah, he's not getting as much goals as probably a lot of people would like, uh, even though he did get 21 in 63 games this year. The key to note is the shots on goal. He had 156 in Milwaukee last year, this year he has 191. So uh, last year, um, he ranked 60th in the AHL in shots on goal. Uh, Good enough for ninth if you only include rookies. Um, So, top 10 in rookie shot generation, 60th in overall shot generation across the league. This year, 191 shots ranks fourth in the entire American Hockey League. So, at the very least, he's getting opportunities to cash in. And eventually, the more opportunities he gets, you run into a string of good luck and good things can happen to you. This year's seven power play goals, seven of his 21 power play goals. uh, seven of his 21 goals, excuse me, have come with the extra man. Uh, also had four game winners, average three shots per game this year, average 2.68 last year. Um, so the offensive upside is definitely there for Tolman. Um, I think, it's ultimately up to him as to how good he wants to be um, and, and what kind of steps he's going to take uh, moving forward. Um, in uh, the U18s, um, he, he did really, really well. Um, he had seven goals and two helpers in seven games uh, in 2015-16. Uh, led the way in goal scoring there, won the gold medal at the U18s that year. Um, and he also appeared at um, the 2018 Olympic Games. People forget uh, he, he went to the 2018 Winter oh, Games right. and he did very, very well for himself as well. He had uh, six goals or three goals, six assists, nine points, and five games um, at the yeah. Olympic Games. Um, and uh, in terms of world junior play he played 18 games and got 16 points there so internationally he's had multiple chances to showcase his talents and more often than not he's played pretty well um as far as his position goes he's a left winger and the preds have some depth but i think could use a bit more explosive firepower obviously you have a guy like forsberg as your top choice but he's been a hot and cold player traditionally you look at guys like Golden Sisson, Brock Grimaldi, Austin Watson, like you mentioned, Brett, good deaf players, better than Tolan? No. So um, I think it's safe to say that um, this finished product controls his own destiny.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, he is kind of like, I don't know what the phrase is, but he is kind of, um, because he did so well at KHL, people had high expectations for him. He's still going to be a very good player, I feel like, but um, but if you're expecting what he was able to do in the KHL, um, then he he may not be that way. (laughs) So it it, it's going to be tough to see, but um, yeah, it's also interesting too because he's a Finnish player or he's from Finland, and he played for the USHL, which is you know a US league and then he goes to the KHL, so he doesn't even play, he didn't even play for um, like the Finnish league, um, which is a pretty good league too in its own right. So it's just interesting that uh, he decided, he he might've played for college hockey too. So it's just interesting that um, he decided to take his hockey um, to the American leagues or the KHL, where I guess he just felt those leagues are better. I guess they are, in a way, now that I'm talking out loud. Um, this next guy we're going to talk about is Yakov Trenin. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he... Um, I actually hadn't heard of this guy until this year. Um, but that's mostly because he... I, I was seeing that, um, I think someone on one of my Dynasty League added him on his team. And then like I looked him up because I had never heard of him. And then all of a sudden I realized like, oh my God, he's actually like pretty good. Um, or he has good stats in the AHL. Um, so, but particularly this year where he had more than a point per game in the AHL, he had 35 points in 32 games. Um, and uh, he had a couple of, he even played a couple of games in Nashville uh, this year he had 21 in 21 games he had six points uh, so that's pretty good um the year before that he had 33 points in 74 games in the AHL um, and then the year before that he had 16 points in 44 games so that just shows that he's progressing year to year um yeah and again I believe he plays center as well so or he, oh, he also plays wing two Um, So, I imagine because of Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne firmly being in the lineup, um, it's going to be hard for him to make it in the top six as a center, but um, he could very well just be another winger for them, Um, especially when, as we talked about before, for Tomasino and Tolvanen, um, you know, Forsberg, and it's pretty much Forsberg, Arvidsson, and pretty much everyone else, so um yeah yeah taking a look at uh stats in the qmjhl
0: um it does say that uh, he took a fair bit of faceoffs. um didn't do really good to start off with though he had a 45.1 win percentage in his rookie year um a year which he had 67 points in 58 games uh year two only took 28 draws, still lost 42.8% of them. Um, got a respectable 61 points in 57 games there. And then caught fire in his final year where he won a whopping 59.2% of his draws. So that alone brought his QMJHL and um, win totals in the dot to 56% that season alone. Um, um. So he, he definitely had his moments. Um, but there was probably a time in, in his second year where he more than likely spend time on the wing, um, because ultimately this guy is known for racking up the shots anywhere between 180 and 220 is what you expect. Um, you expect nine, 10 plus power play goals per year. Um, he had uh, nine in his second year, six his first year. His final year, he had 12. Um, just a general offensive machine that can generate three to four shots per game for you. That's what he was uh, in the QMJHL. Faceoffs weren't typically his bread and butter there. They didn't have to be because he was scoring goals. And his goal scoring increased every year. He had 18 his first year, 26 his second year, and um, finished his career with 30 goals in 54 games so had he actually played um full seasons for all three um be interesting to see what his numbers would have been like um he had a couple of respectable playoff runs too and he won 57.2 percent of his career faceoff draws so um he had a pretty decent uh, win percentage there Um, You mentioned the HL stats, Brett, they're pretty interesting. He hasn't racked up the shots like Ely Tolvanen has, Um, but this year he has 20 goals it says on 71 shots. I don't know if that's right, but if it's right, that's a shooting percentage of 28.2%, which I find absolutely mind-boggling. He has uh, six game winners and five power play goals this year of his 20 goals there and he's only played 32 games and he's got those 20 goals so there is a little bit of um of upside there he's got a fair bit of workload in the ahl to have me feel confident about bringing him up probably before tomasino but if they do they'll probably have to put him on the wing because like you said uh unless either one of duchene or Johansson are moved. Um, it's going to be very tough to put someone in a meaningful role, as far as a centerman goes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, We're going to interrupt this uh, preview for a second, because I just realized something, Um, Um, with a little bit of a trivia question. Okay. Um, So, and it's fitting because it's going to introduce the next player. I think you know where this is going, if you are aware of the lineup of this. But other than the three teams that we're talking about are Montreal, Nashville, and New Jersey, other than them being in the same, uh, they work alphabetically because we, you know, we did it alphabetically. What else do the, these three teams have in common?
0: PK Subban's played
1: for all of them. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, that was too easy. I know, but like I, I, I think it's just a coincidence, but. It also works out chronologically, too. Like, he was drafted by Montreal, then he was traded to Nashville, and then he was traded to New Jersey. It's like... That's... It's circle of life. <laughs> like circle Has anyone ever talked about that? Like, the fact that PK Subban has been traded to three teams that work out alphabetically like that? Anyways, uh, the reason why I bring that up, as well, is because this next guy we're t- talking about is Jeremy Davies. Um, and he's most notable because he was involved in that P.K. Trub- Truban? Truban trade from Nashville to New Jersey um, last offseason. Um, I actually, I believe I actually saw this guy play a bit in, at Northeastern the year before that. Um, and this was when he was a devil's prospect. And I thought, like, he was actually pretty good. Um, and now I'm looking here at his numbers. He, went, he had 36 points in 37 games at Northeastern, which is pretty good. And then he goes on to uh, Milwaukee um, and plays, for, it goes to the AHL um, and he has 28 points for, for 62 games. Um, and that's pretty good for, that's, that's pretty nice for like the admirals or the Milwaukee admirals um, and their system. Um, the thing that's kind of, in, in terms of his future, um, well, first off, he's 5'11", so he is pretty short, but, but may not be as big of a deal for defensemen, I don't know. Um, but the fact that Nashville's like biggest strength, and it has been for a while now, and a big reason why they were even able to trade Shea Weber and uh, P.K. Subban, when they did, it's because they have they they're known for their defensemen, uh, and and because of that, they have a long like like in terms of Jeremy uh, Davies and the next guy we're gonna talk about, David Ference. Like, there may not be room for him. Um, in the lineup eventually, because you have guys like Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matthias Eichholm, who's making some noise, Dante Fabro, who has his moments as well. It's gonna be, um, you know, so those are four legitimate players on the team. Um, So, I mean, I know you're gonna, he's a left-handed defenseman um, and even still, like, you know, Roman Yossi, according to Steve, is the best defenseman of the, de- the past decade. So, um, so it's, it's going to be tough competition to ever see him in a big time role. Having said that, like, you know, it's, it's tough to knock his stats. Um, and it sure seems like the Nashville Predators know what they're doing in terms of defensemen. Um, so he's in good company in that regard. Um, so, so maybe he will be something eventually, um, but, um, it is tough to see considering that they already have a lot of good defensemen.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's the interesting thing about, uh, Nashville is even though they have a lot of defensemen in their prime, they have some hidden gems uh, in their prospect pool and uh this this guy uh, is definitely one that uh, they picked up again a seventh round pick this time by new jersey but still another 7th round pick we're talking about here um you take a look at his college numbers uh like you said over 30 points uh his final two years almost the full uh point per game pace in 2017-18 um, really kicked it up a notch in his final year. He had 114 shots. That was a season high. Also chipped in with four power play goals. He had 11 power play goals in his college career, um, posting 94 points in those 111 games. Uh, average is 2.41 shots per game at the NCAA Level 2. So Uh, for a defenseman got a decent amount of shots away also 161 blocks in 111 games played so not afraid uh, to lay out and make uh, the responsible play which you you love to see as a coach Um, he ranks fourth on the milwaukee roster this year in shots on goal with uh, 120. Um, tolvanen uh, daniel carr and cole schneider the only three guys that have registered more shots than he has if you put uh, Jeremy Davies amongst AHL rookies, including forwards, he has the ninth most shots this season. So a pretty decent uh, first impression in the AHL there. Uh, in terms of other prospects, you have to take a look at um, Frederick Allaire and uh, Alexander Carrier. Um, I would say they're the main sources of competition for, Damie, uh, for Jeremy Davies in terms of Prospects both had very successful seasons in the QMJHL. In particular, um, Carrier has found a stride in the AHL as well. He had 39 points his first year, but then went down to 28. But has pitched 37 in back-to-back seasons. So, a very consistent offensive defenseman in the in the um, QMJHL in the AHL. There. Um, so there, there is a fair bit of competition. But both of those guys are right-handed, as opposed to Jeremy Davies, who is uh, left-handed. Um, and who else is left-handed? Roman Yossi and T.S. Ekholm. So even, even then, at best, he's a third-pairing defenseman right now because Yossi and Ekholm are just that good for them. Um, but he doesn't have... He, he doesn't have... Um, a, a lot of prospect hopefuls trying to take his spot on the left side. Uh, there's Fortunato. There's Ben Harper, who got an extra year, and uh, and Matt Donovan. Those are basically his competition in the minor leagues. Um, and as for Hamus and Tenorti, who are also left-handed shots, eventually those guys are going to come and go. So you'll at some point see Jeremy Davies in the lineup. It might take a bit of time for him to take that next leap, um, but I definitely think he will if he takes advantage of whatever uh, chances he gets, because ultimately um, it, it's, it's gonna come down to whether or not he can make the most of it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the next guy we're gonna talk about is David Ferentz. Um I remember when we were talking about uh, when we were talking about Trevor uh seems like forever ago, but yeah. when we started this thing, um, when we were talking about Anaheim, but uh, you know, you had mentioned that uh, Trevor Zegras wasn't even the highest point getter on his team, um, and in fact, the highest point getter on the Boston University team is drumroll, please, uh, David Ference. Um <laughs> yes, no, I didn't have a drumroll there, but. That's okay. Uh, So as a defenseman, he had 43 points in uh, 34 games, which is pretty good, Um, especially for a team like BU where they weren't actually that good. Um, But it is impressive that a defenseman can be the highest point score. That can be a good or a bad thing. Um, And he also had 107 shots on goal, which is also pretty good too. But, um, and the only person who had more shots that year was Patrick Curry, a senior on the team. Um, I thought Trevor Zegers was, but I just double checked and that's true. Uh, So uh, yeah, I think he really took off this year as a junior. Um, His sophomore year wasn't bad. Uh, He had 20 points in 37 games. Um, And then the year before that, he had nine points in 31 games. Uh, You also have to take into account the fact that, like, Dante Fabro was on this team. So it's Charlie McAvoy, at least his freshman year. Um, So so that's something to consider. Um, But, uh, yeah, like, I think that's a big reason why his point totals were declining because Fabro and McAvoy were – um, more involved, but, uh, you know, now in his junior year, he kind of took over for those two guys, and now he's a legitimate player. Um, interesting thing is, that I mentioned Fabro, um, BU, I guess, and Nashville love each other apparently because there's Fabro, there's Ference, and then there's also Patrick Harper, who we're not even talking about, but. Uh, those are three guys that um, all went to BU and are all uh, Nashville Predators products. Um, he was a 2017 pick in the third round, um, and he went 92nd overall, so that's another late round pick. Um, I feel like Nashville just always gets these kind of guys who are late round picks. They're very good at scouting. Um, but like they, they never seem good to start, but then all of a sudden they're... They're pretty good. Um, But yeah, uh, I think this guy could be like one of those underrated prospects, especially since he plays for BU that didn't do so well. Um, But like, just as a defenseman, I think it it is impressive that he can, um, he can basically be that puck mover um, and stuff like that. And of course he has the same issue that Jeremy Davies has where You're not sure where he's going to fit, and he may take a while to actually get settled into the NHL once he's there. But um, there is definitely a lot of high potential for him. Um, I could see that happening. Okay, I'll let you go, but I have a question for you um, after that.
0: Okay, Um, so um, he he also spent a bit of time at the US uh, National Development Program uh, before he started his college career. He had uh, 23 points in 52 games with the U-17s. He also had 13 points in 31 games against the USHL competition. Um, Took the next step forward with the U-18 squad. uh, Finished with seven goals and 37 points in 64 games. He had uh, one goal and 17 points in 25 games versus the USHL that year. So then he goes to Boston University for three years. Uh, You mentioned the first year, got his feet wet, second year a little bit better, this year was a coming of age, Uh, nominated as a top 10 finalist for the Hobie Baker Award that is given annually to the best college hockey player in America. His first two years combined, he had had 107 this year alone. Um, He had a combined total of seven goals the past two years. This year alone he had 14 goals. Um is 43 points in 34 games. Let all NCAA Blue Liners ranked sixth amongst NCAA skaters. Um he was uh ninth most or he was ninth highest in assists this year at 29. That includes forwards, defense goalies. Uh his shooting percentage doubled from last year. Uh and he had nine power play goals. Nine power play goals for a defenseman is pretty huge. It's very significant. Um and then you, you also have to consider that, according to league prospects, he'll be returning for his senior season and as an assistant captain, too. So he's not quite done his college ranks yet. So um, keep your eye on that story as uh, we go into uh, future years. Um, in terms of how he's being described, uh, Ference is a player that has the necessary tools to be good, a fair bit of strength uh, in his stride kind of an underrated shot, but he has the ability to generate offense from the back end and he does it very well. Um, Transitional offensive minded defenseman skates very well, skilled hands, agile skating. Um, He possesses the puck uh, very quickly. Um, But like you said, the path to the big leagues won't be easy because like jeremy davies he has a left-handed shot so not only does he have to beat out jeremy davies he's got to beat out a few other guys that have really carved their name in national predators history uh, in uh, matthias Ekholm and roman yossi um so it'll be interesting uh, to see um how uh Ferenc, um falls into that mix so to speak
1: yeah for sure and i think you could say the same for um for Jeremy Davies as well mm-hmm. um so yeah that leads me to this next question then um so well first off uh, David Ferentz, uh is uh, he I guess according to League prospects he's going to play for uh, at EU for another year which I guess is a smart move um, especially in this uncertain time um, but also uh, because Oh, Nashville Predators are so strong on defense and we did talk about Jeremy Davies and David Ference who are doing pretty well um, in their own right. Um, do you think this means that like maybe one of these guys on defense even currently or maybe they trade one of Davies or Ferenc, um to go to another team do You think like a trade will happen where like maybe Ekholm gets traded or Ryan Ellis gets traded? I don't think Roman Yossi is getting traded, but um, maybe even Dante Fabro. Uh, do you think like that? Like any of these guys' future that are is is in jeopardy because of the emergence of David Ference and Jeremy Davies, or is it too early to think about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, well. A little bit of column A, and a little bit of column B. Uh, I will say, if they do go down that road of okay, how do we shake things up? I think Matthias Ekholm is probably the easiest contract to move, and he would also get you a fair return. So yeah. for those two reasons, I would say Ekholm would probably be the most likely to go, uh, right. just because it would probably be the easiest plan of action. Uh, Ellis and Yossi are paid to long-term contracts. Right. Um, Both are in the prime of their careers. I don't think too many people want to touch those. Whereas Ekholm still has a little bit of term and um, is probably not going to cost Roman Yossi or Ryan Ellis money when you have to re-sign them.
1: Well, I just realized they're all 29 years old, Yossi, Ellis, and Ekholm. They're all 29 years old, so uh, maybe that has some factor to do with it. And then you have, like, Fabro, Ferentz, and Davies as well, like, as a bottom three pairing, I guess. At the mm. end there, something like that. I don't know. Um that's certainly possible. Um all right. So the next team we're going to talk about now is New Jersey. Um so we're okay. So for I we're going to shake things up to a bit cuz this next guy, this next prospect is something that kind of a little bit unheralded. But um, I'll start with the cap-friendly page first. Uh, so in terms of UFAs this year, um, our RFAs, um, Joseph Anderson, John Hayden, Jesper Brett, and Mirko Mueller, as well as Mackenzie Blackwood, are all RFAs. So the big one is Blackwood um, in that regard. Um, in terms of UFAs, they're in kind of good shape where they have Frederick Clayson and Dakota Mermis. I didn't even know that guy was in the NHL. Um, But they have that, um, but they have a a couple of, they have like money to deal with basically. Um, But anyways, uh, the main reason why we are, um, this, this first product prospect we're talking about is um technically not a prospect anymore but uh since he did go first overall last year in the 2019 draft um and he didn't do as well as we expected him to be um we're going to include him so that of course i'm talking about jack hughes um he so this year for the devils um he didn't have as good of a year as we all thought he would have um in that he had uh, 21 points in 61 games um, however it was like 15 minutes of ice time I believe he was injured for a bit too um, and uh, I think um, we all expected like and then you see his brother Quinn Hughes uh, you know make records and we were all expecting that Jack Hughes is going to be the guy to actually do well um, but it turns out it was his brother who was doing well. So, um, anyways, he, he, the year before that, he had 112 points in 50 games for that heralded national team, under uh, 18 team. Um, he also played a couple of games in the under 20s last year too, when he was 18 years old and he had four assists in four games. Um, he, uh, also had, um... I mean, he had 78 assists in 50 games. Um, So yeah, he played uh, and then he scored 21 games. I remember it took him a while to actually score his first point. um, And there was something like along the lines of like, is this, is he actually ready um, to play? Um, And I guess he'll take some time and maybe he'll have some getting used to, but when you look like they show, they've shown before, like of players that uh, first overall picks that have taken a while to get used to the game. Like Steven Stamkos hardly played his rookie year, is a big example they always talk about. T- t- uh, Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins took a while to get acclimated as well. Um, so I think there's that um, to to consider. Also, another thing that should be noted is the fact that, like, you know, Jack Hughes is, um, you know, the Devils were one of the worst teams in the league, um, and I think uh, part of that, and they had high expectations where they get PK Subban, they get uh, Nikita Gusev in the lineup um, as well, and they're just they just started to build around. Jack Hughes um, before he even played a game and there is a danger in that and there is some risk involved in that but at the same time you you know when you're marketing towards it there is some kind of like you kind of have to do that so you have to play him but I do wonder if maybe he should play a couple of games in the in the AHL for a bit just to see how he gets his footing for a bit Um, because when you draft a guy first overall, you want to make sure that um, he's not going to be a bust, and you want to make sure he's developed properly. Um, and I truly believe that he has skill; he definitely has something there. Um, but if you want to get, make sure that he's truly acclimated um, and you know developed properly. Maybe you do put him down to the AHL just to see how it goes, um, but I'm also all for just seeing how he does his second year, um, and and seeing what happens before we truly call him a bust. But I think it might just be a, um, like maybe it's just something mental for him, um, and eventually he'll get he'll get past it and uh, be better than. Um, than what he is right now.
0: Yeah, the, the good news for Jack Hughes is the rest of his team sucks. Yeah, um, Remember awesome. when we all said, oh, you know, the Devils could be good this year. And I believed it. I thought this was going to be different. And they had a horrible first half at and They traded Taylor Hall. And I think the departure of Taylor Hall kind of also led to um, the f- decline in numbers for Jack Hughes because in his first 19 games he actually got 10 points which is pretty decent numbers for a rookie um Blake Coleman also an underrated guy he left the lineup so yeah, they they had way. some holes to fill there um this is a situation. this is a very difficult situation a challenging year where basically Jack Hughes is learning everything on the fly like everyone else at, at the highest level and uh, this group is going to have to grow together they're going to need a good system and the right system to succeed and it's something that i think in the long term it might not benefit jack hughes now but i think in the long term it definitely could if you look at his numbers core by core like i said great start to the year with 10 points in his first 19 games um at the time he was averaging just under 16 minutes per game over three minutes with the extra man every game and um, he was paired with guys like Taylor Hall, guys like Kyle Palmieri. But he would also see a bit of Wayne Simmons, a little bit of Pavel Zacha too. In quarter two, he starts to cool off. Only two goals and four assists in 17 games. Ice time at that point hasn't changed. The amount of power play exposure didn't change majorly. It changed a bit, but it didn't change a lot. Uh, by then, Taylor Hall was at the door. Um, which meant Hughes was with the declining Wayne Simmons and uh, a bit of Wood and Paddle Zaka there as well. Um, in the following 17 games after that, he had a goal and three assists, so not that much better. And uh, he spent a bit more time with Heischer and Palmieri in quarter three, but would also see a bit of Zaka, would also see a bit of Wayne Simmons, would also see a bit of Jasper Pratt as well. And in his final eight games, he got one assist. And um, at the time of the stoppage, he had act, he had actually gone seven straight games without a point. So you can debate how bad of a rookie season it is. You can debate the fact he didn't even win forty percent of his draws this year. And I understand for a number one pick, trending under thirty points for a rookie season for any season is pretty bad. But you also have to take into account in a full nhl season he would be averaging over 160 shots right now um i think we can all agree that he would probably dominate the ahl and i don't really know if jack hughes other than a confidence boost could really learn anything from his time in the ahl because every single time he goes to a different league he makes it look too easy yeah you lead the U-17s, he goes to the U-18s, he posts even better numbers than he did with the U-17s. So it's it, it's like, what what test isn't there, uh, what what test out there is impossible for this guy to complete? Like, he just keeps conquering mission after mission after mission. This is his biggest mission yet. This is the big time. And it's been a tough year for the New Jersey Devils. Um, it's been a trying year for a kid that's had to go through so much and learn so lot in probably a quicker period of time than a lot of other teams that couldn't even begin to imagine but i think eventually jack in in the next couple of years you're going to see the real jack hughes and he's going to be super fun to watch the only question i have is is he going to be centering his own line or is he going to be on the wing with nico heischer Mm -hmm. as the center that's my only question i'm not Concerned at all about Jack Hughes?
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I guess when I mentioned to put him to the AHL, you're right. He is too good for the AHL. Um, but I think there is. I think there could be something in terms of like maybe it's a confidence thing and mm-hmm. or something like that. So that's why I was mentioning maybe you just move him down to the AHL for a bit just so that he gets his confidence back up. But. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of the reason why he, he his numbers weren't as good is because the Devils were not good, um, which is like in, compared to his brother, Quinn Hughes, or even like all the other rookies, uh, top rookies this year that he was supposed to compete with the Calder for. Like Vancouver's a good team. Uh, they have a lot of good players around him, around Quinn Hughes. Um, and same with uh, Colorado with Kale McCarr, or like Adam Fox in in New York. Um, so, so I think he's. I I, th- I think you're right. It's too early to give up on him, um, and all that stuff. And I think the best is yet to come for him. Um, and I truly do believe that he will be good, especially as this American um, hockey fan. You always root for the top. Prospects who are American as well. Um, I also I think he's Jewish too, so um, I'm a I'm I always love when Jewish athletes are big too, so um, I'm happy for that. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I I just want to see maybe you put him down to the AHL just for a bit, just to see how it goes. Also, the other thing I want to mention is is he's a he's only 18. Right now, I guess he's about to turn nineteen in a couple of days. Um, so, uh, so that's like that's still um, it still like says something about the fact that like I think once he grows into his he's still growing basically physically speaking, um, and I think once he's able to grow and get used accustomed to the NHL, I think then watch out league basically. Um, yep. And that is a good point too is like maybe they do put him on the wing just to see how it goes instead of putting him in at center i, I
0: believe on daily face off they have been listed on the left wing
1: okay so that could be something that's interesting then for sure um i didn't realize they did that um
0: i don't know how long they've done it for it could have been as recently as just the last game to try and get him out of the funk he right. was in or maybe they were just trying to um experiment because maybe they're just like okay if we get someone like uh, I don't know Marco Rossi in the NHL draft that's coming up yeah let's see if uh, let's see if Hughes and Heischer make a good tandem that way we can put uh Marco that on would his be own nice. line and we can uh, make a duo with these two
1: yeah that would be nice or i mean maybe they get Lef- end up getting Lafreniere Frenier too that would be yeah also
0: that That'd also that, yeah, that that would. Or,
1: Byfield. Matt Lafreniere yeah. and
0: Hughes on one line—that's yeah. just not
1: fair. Although, I mean, we said the same thing about the Oilers, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: fair.
1: <laughs> but yeah, still, it's uh, that doesn't nec- doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna be, um, terrible just because the Oilers, didn't work out there. Yeah. Um. All right, so the next guy we're gonna talk about is Nolan Foote. Um, so Nolan Foote is the guy that was traded to, uh, he was a Tampa Bay draft pick in the 2019 draft, speaking Jack Hughes. Um, he was the 27th overall by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, then he was recently traded to the Devils, uh, for Blake Coleman and a couple of other guys. Um, so, or I mean, Blake Coleman was traded to, uh, New, like, it's the reverse way, anyways.
0: Yeah, play Coleman went to Tampa Bay, and Nolan Foot was for a while. <laughs> was, he, he was uh, part of the return, by the way. Um, yeah, related to Adam Foot, formerly of the Avalanche.
1: Yep, um, yeah, that's his father. Um, mm-hmm. also, Callan Foot is a Tampa Bay prospect, too, I believe. Yeah, um, so we'll talk about him when Tampa Bay's turn is up, but. Uh, yeah, it, uh, he played for Kelowna this year. Uh, he had 33 points in 27 games. Um, he also played for team Canada and the world juniors where he had five points in seven games. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, and, uh, I think the thing with the devils, I, they are a lot like the other, a lot of the other rebuilding teams that we've been talking about lately with like LA, Minnesota, um, and uh, even, like, Detroit, um, they all, like, since they're all rebuilding, just figuring out where they're going to, um, it's even harder to project, project where they're going to be in a couple of years because um, they're going, you know, because they're rebuilding and we don't know what the team's going to look like in the next year or so. But having said that, like, you know, you get Nolan Foot. Um, in a big trade like this. Um, And the only left winger that you have here now that you traded away, Taylor Hall is Nikita Gusev who finally got going too. Um, I guess Kyle Palmieri is also another one who counts too. But like you look at their contract situation, both Gusev and Palmieri, they both have one more year left in terms of wingers. And then you also have like Miles Wood who has two years left. So Nolan Foote could definitely be a left winger, um, a top line left winger for the Devils um, in the next couple of years. Um, purely because, you know, there's not gonna be a ton of competition maybe. Um, and if there is, I guess, you know, like he can learn from guys like Gusev and Palmieri um, if they decide to stay in New Jersey. But, um, You know you get him in a trade um and i think that kind of shows that uh new jersey sees him as a big part of their future um so so i think the signs are looking good for him and it looks like just from his whl stats um he could be a pretty good player um in the coming years
0: yeah that's that's interesting um I was looking over Nolan Foote's stats uh, today on uh, the WHL's website and um, I guess it, it was made easier to let go of Blake Coleman knowing they were going to get Nolan Foote because, oh my God, he can score a lot of goals on the power play. Um, 10 of his 19 goals, Brett, imagine this, 10 of his 19 goals in 2016-17 were power play goals. So, like, over half of his goals came on the power play, 35 points in 52 games. That's pretty respectable. Um, and then you go to 2017-18, where he has 40 points in 50 games, five of his 13 goals on the year, power play goals. Um, he also took a fair amount of faceoffs. He took 383 and won 160 of them, uh, even though it says he plays left wing. He still took a few face-offs here and there. Um, 2018-19, year three of WHL duty. um, Got 17, 17 of 36 goals with a power play. And uh, finished the year with 236 shots. Also added 27 assists to give him a total of 63 points in 66 games. He um, took part in 428 draws, 169 of them. Fourth year, as you mentioned, Brett only lasted 27 games scored uh 33 points um converted 15 times on 90 shots and he had another eight power play goals if fully healthy could have had an even bigger year uh, than what he displayed um and then in, in the past uh two seasons um or at least this year he was the whl uh, captain for the Kelowna rockets um so um, uh, not only a good hockey player, but being trusted with those key leadership roles. Um, we also saw a bit of his international play was pretty good. He had three goals and two assists at the world juniors in seven games for Canada this year that, uh, led to a gold medal and, um, at the 2018 Lincoln Memorial tournament, he, uh, was a part of a gold medal winning team there, uh, with Canada. There's no doubt his size. I, I love his size. He's six foot four. Um, the offensive upsides there. Um, he's a guy that is always moving his feet, very powerful on the puck, and when he asserts himself, just an unstoppable force. That's a straight line to the other goal. He loves to bring the game to his opponents. So he's just fearless in your face. Um, something that I think, um, New Jersey would love, kind of a little bit like Brady Kachuk, where he's just buzzing everywhere, um, piling up the shots, a threat on the power play, and just a, a threat in general, even if he doesn't have the puck. So um, I, I kind of like that for New Jersey as well. From from that side of things, uh, I am curious to see if they still stick in at left wing. Um, I, if I had to take a look at one guy, I could have. Uh, A serious challenge for his job. Um, Might not be today, but maybe down the road is Graham Clark, who um, Mm -hmm. played for the 67s. He didn't play them. You're talking about
1: 67 here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, New (laughs) Jersey actually has, they have four. No, no, they they have Clark. No, they have four. They have Mitch Holster, who is unsigned. Oh, uh,
1: 67's is- players, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. they have Mitch Holster unsigned, Graham Clark unsigned. They have Ball, who was a right. draft pick in Arizona, but they got in the Taylor Hall trade, and Nikita Hutchek, who they have signed. So hmm. when they sign Holster and Clark, they'll have four sixty-sevens on their team.
1: Interesting, <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah.
0: So I don't know why they like the 67s, but I'm all for that.
1: They're Um, like uh, BU with um, Nashville.
0: Yeah, Yeah, got got to get their BU quota. Um, The the thing about Graham Clark is that he missed a lot of the season this year due to injury. But in the games that he played, he was a goal-scoring machine. So if he played a full season, he could have had easy 40 to 50 goals. He was he was firing on all cylinders he had a monster playoffs uh last year his first like eight nine ten games he was just killing it he was scoring goals doing everything so um i think in maybe a couple of years he could emerge as a guy that uh, competes for nolan foot's job i still give the advantage to nolan foot because of his power play upside and because he's six foot four and very tough to contain so yeah. I, I have high hopes for this kid, and I'm sure New Jersey does too.
1: Yeah. By the way, when you mentioned his physical style of play, I I believe his dad, Adam Foot, also played that similar type of way. Um, yeah. So, except, except he was
0: except he was a defenseman, not a forward.
1: Right. Right. But yeah, it's very similar type of play. Or when you were saying that, I was like, I think Adam Foot was like that too. Yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, the next guy we're gonna talk about is uh, Ty Smith. Um, It's it's probably the most generic name, which is kind of funny, but uh, apparently he's pretty good. Actually, it feels like no one talks about him, but um, in terms of like top prospects, but uh, he is a pretty good prospect in his own right. Um, He, uh, so he plays for the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, He was the captain there for the last two years. Um, this year he had 59 points in 46 games um, and the year before that he had 69 points in 57 games um, and then he had 73 points in 69 games for the Spokane Chiefs so that's pretty consistent and it's pretty good especially for a defenseman um, in the WHL uh, and he's been one of the best players um, in the WHL for quite some time it seems I remember hearing something like he won the WHL Best Player of the League award, I think, two years ago, so, or a year ago. Um, so I think he uh, he could end up, he was a 17th overall pick in 2018, um, and he could end up becoming, like, one of the better players in the league um, when all things are said and done. Um, also of note, Uh, He played for Team Canada as well in the World Juniors, uh, where he had three assists in seven games, Um, and then he also had three assists in five games for Canada the year before that. Um, I guess the big reason why he's not talked about as much is because he doesn't score as often, but um, I think because he can, um, he's like you know, he's a big time, or from what I'm reading, is he's more of like a power play guy, um, and he uh, he can he's more of like a playmaker type defenseman, which is fine, obviously. Um, and that's something that the Devils desperately need, because that was a big reason why the Devils were so bad to begin with. Uh, they do get, they do have P.K. Subban, but he hasn't been as good um, as we all expect him to be for about, like, three years now, um, and uh, the Devils don't really have a lot of other defensemen in the system that can really compete with him. I guess Will Butcher has his moments, and same with Eamon Severson, but uh, they, the Devils are lacking with their defensemen in general. Um, so, like, we, we did mention that, like, when we were talking about Hughes, is like, if the Devils somehow get Lafreniere or Byfield or Marco Rossi, then, yeah, uh, you go get them. But I have a feeling that the Devils will probably try to get Jamie Drysdale. Um, um, otherwise, if they don't have the for one of the first three picks um, in the draft, uh, just because they're in desperate need for defensemen. Um, and But back to Ty Smith. Uh, Ty Smith is by far their best defenseman. Um, and he could be in the league as soon as next year. I could see that happening just because they desperately need him. Um, and I, he, he fits that mold.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. because uh, you, you talk about uh, how Ty Smith is and mentioned as some of the top prospects. It seems like whenever I come across like an NHL.com article and they're talking about New Jersey's defense, he's the first name that pops up. So yeah. I've actually heard uh, quite a lot about this guy, and
1: uh, okay, it maybe wasn't he's until just I... not as heard of in my circles. I guess maybe that's actually yeah. it. That's yeah. Possible. Yeah, well,
0: i've I've heard I've heard a lot of him, but uh, I I was just like, okay, what what stats does he have? Of anything that blow me away, and I actually didn't come across to check until a couple weeks ago and i thought oh wow yeah the past three seasons he's been a top five defenseman in the whl yeah that yeah i can see why they're pretty high in this game right um we're talking like three straight years with the league with at least 40 assists there was one season where um he got like over 60 assists um this this season actually um The biggest stat for him was goal scoring he had 19 goals in 46 games which you know if you if you get like 10 to 15 goals that's pretty impressive for a defenseman like going on 20 to 25 goals that's that's a different kind of territory that we're entering there um uh, shots on goal pretty decent as well he uh, recorded 194 shots in his third year 158 his fourth 141 uh, this year um in terms of power play assists he has 68 of those over the past three seasons um currently up for defenseman of the year in the whl um so overall i like what he brings um based on his whl stats in terms of international play um he he played relatively well um Uh, was also an assistant captain uh, for the 2019 World Juniors for Team Canada as well. Um, There are a couple of young defensemen that I think uh, will give this guy a run for his money. Um, Obviously, you have Butcher, Mueller, and Clayson as options on the left side, and this guy does shoot left, so i could probably see him slot in as the number one or number two uh deep pairing on the left side depending on um how confident they are in will butcher or how much longer will butcher is here for uh they have kevin bull as i mentioned in the taylor hall trade all he does is crushes hopes and dreams for everybody else um and he does have offensive upside but mostly a guy that just delivers bone crunching hits uh, Nikita Hutchek plays a physical game himself as well. Colby Sissons is more of an offensive defenseman. Um, and all of those guys will be competing for a few spots. Um, and, you know, those entry level deals are going to be so important because Nationals probably going against the cap for a while. Um, so this is going to create some healthy competition. Not every single defenseman that we've mentioned is going to find their way into the big leagues. With the preds anyway so uh it, it's definitely i think gonna fuel the fire for ty smith that once he gets over here he's gonna have to make his opportunity count and i seriously think um they will uh, be able to do that uh, they do have some options like david coinville and uh, unsigned prospect riley walsh out on the right side oh, that yeah. could help um mm-hmm. uh, but i think for the foreseeable future get used to Ty Smith being on the first or second pairing, um, and probably sooner rather than
1: later. Riley Walsh is another one that I kind of forgot about, but, um, by the way, speaking of which you were mentioning I I started when you said like, when you called me out on like, no one's heard of this guy. Um, I, I went and looked and I, so I found hockey news has him as the 45th overall prospect. Um, New Jersey for some reason, so mm-hmm. that's why I I said it the way I said it like that. But I don't know, maybe maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're right. I forgot about Riley Walsh, and maybe it'll take some time for him to really be the the guy. But I could definitely see him uh, make a make an impact in the NHL next year.
0: Yeah, as I said in in my preview. Um, New Jersey has some pieces that could help this team turn it around. Yeah. Um, and it's it's ultimately going to be... Um, it's ultimately going to be up to the players whether that happens or not.
1: For sure, yeah. Um, but considering the fact that he's been pretty consistent in the WHL is, is yeah. a good sign that he'll be pretty good in the NHL. Um, yeah, very good sign. Yeah. Um, so... We're going to talk about Michael McCloud um, now. Um, this is a guy that I remember particularly because now we've been doing these like draft recaps every year. I remember specifically that you were very critical of this pick when it happened. Um, yep. I, I, I mean, you'll probably talk more about it, but I believe it was because of this like personality issue and you just didn't see it happening for him. Um, he was a 2016 pick. he was picked 12th overall um, and he hasn't been playing too much in New Jersey, but um, having said that, like he has had pretty good numbers in uh, the Bingington Devils um, to speak of. so he might he still has some potential out there. Uh, this past year, he had 23 points in 47 games. Um, eight of those were goals. Um, the year before that, he had uh, 33 points in 55 games for Bingington. Um, and then uh, and then he had one assist in six games for Bington as well. Um, he's also played for New Jersey the last two years, but uh, doesn't have a ton of ice time. Uh, and and all that stuff. Um, so for this year, he played in 12 games. I uh, had two assists um, and zero goals. Uh, and but his ice time was 10 minutes uh, on ice per on average. Um, and then the year before that, he had tw- he played in 21 games, so a bit more of a sample size, but still not a ton. And he has three assists, um, and that's 12 minutes there. Um, for Mississauga, he had uh, 44 points in 38 games. Um, and then he also played for the World Juniors in Canada, where he had four points in seven games. So a little bit underwhelming, and you may have had a point back when you were so critical of him. Um, but I mean, it's still at the same time, it's like he's 22 years old, he's still, he's still growing. Um, and at the same time, it's like the Devils as we've mentioned before, when we've been talking about their wingers situations, it's like, um, there's definitely some room for him to, to make a mark in this league based off of what the devils can do. Um, and you know, maybe he learns, especially if like Kyle Palmieri, uh, Gusev and Travis Sage, that all go, uh, when they're UFAs, um, in the next year, uh, I think there is some room for Michael McLeod to uh, be in the NHL. Um, if he's gonna be a good pro, that's unclear, but I, I don't think you can learn too much out of how good a player is gonna be if you're only getting 10 minutes on ice um, every game. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: uh, that's a fair point. and I And I will, I will re-mention what I had a problem with uh, a couple of years ago when Mike McLeod was drafted. It, it's not honestly the worst thing in the world. It's not like he was badmouthing his coach. It's probably more to do with homesickness than anything. He didn't want to play outside the GTA. That was the big thing with Mike McLeod. And the GTA has a fair amount of teams uh, in the Toronto area. And uh, in particular, Mike McLeod was playing with the Mississauga Steelheads at the time. He was traded to the Flint Firebirds for a lot. And he played for the Firebirds, so the trade was voided. Flint um got their prospects and, and picks back, and Mississauga got Mike McLeod back because he didn't want to play for Flint, because he didn't want to leave the GTA. So that was the big thing with Mike McLeod. This was after his first or second OHL season so that that was kind of the thing that stuck out in my mind like you know full well that when you get drafted if you have the fortunate opportunity to be drafted by a team you know darn well that the chances are less than 10 percent it's going to be the team you want to pick you and you've got to be willing to play anywhere that's that was just my mentality and the fact that that this guy in a twenty team league is only restricting where he wants to play just just because like he he wants to stay closer to his family. I get that, but that's not how hockey works. Hockey you're expected to move around. Yeah. You know, like Mike Sillinger was the ultimate journeyman. The guy probably rented houses because he was getting traded every deadline it seemed.
1: Yeah. So,
0: there you there's not going to be a perfect roadmap to the nhl and when you get to the NHL, it's never going to be a perfect roadmap when you're in the nhl stuff is going to happen and you have to deal with that and maybe mike mcleod is a bit of a different player i will say mike mcleod is a very talented player and on skill alone he has what it takes to play in the nhl if you look at um, his second full year, he had 21 goals, 40 assists for 61 points, 171 shots on goal. He was an assistant captain in just his second year. He then, the team captain the season after, gets 27 goals and 46 assists for a total of 73 points in 57 games. Uh, Mississauga goes on this deep playoff run, and McLeod, I believe, got... 27 points in those 20 games when the Saga went all the way to the ohl finals. sadly came up short but a very memorable run and he was a big part of that uh the season where he only played 38 games he had 16 goals and 28 assists for 44 points ended up with 120 shots that year would have likely surpassed 200 at that pace The one thing that really strikes me is face-offs um something we focused on quite a bit on uh, on this prospect uh, review. He logged 1,284 face-offs in year two and year three, he logged 1,362. In year two, he won 58% of his face-offs. In year three, he won 61.2% of his face-offs. And if you didn't think it could get any better, he won 64.6% of his draws uh in his in his uh final year um and in the play, in the over the three playoff runs combined with mississauga he had 46 points in 33 games 20 goals and won 60.7 percent of his total faceoffs uh over those three playoff runs so no doubt a very good offensive player that can win faceoffs and win them consistently that's good that's 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 how you stay in the nhl doing things like that he has the pure skill and could probably half-ass his way to the big leagues but i think the question mike mccloud needs to answer is how badly do i want to be here how good do i want to be do i want to be a top six score or do i want to be the top scorer on the team right like i think talent wise he's up there with sure and use maybe a bit below that but like he's the talent level is definitely there Mm. um and he's proven several times that he can be a decent offensive uh contributor but you look at his numbers with new jersey and and you're right ice time is everything and coaching schemes probably play a role in that as well but in the AHL, I, I think there's another level he can get to there. And at 22 years of age, um, hopefully within the next 12 months, we see that next level. Um, because um, if we don't see that next level, probably going to be a useful bottom six forward, but not the top six forward the Devils probably thought they were getting when they took him in the first round a few years ago.
1: Right. OK. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, maybe it's like maybe he's going to, because of Nico Heischer and uh, because of Jack Hughes as well, I could see maybe uh, New Jersey wants to transition him to be more of a defensive type of player. Uh, that's also kind of possible too. Um, so maybe that that is another reason why his, his ice time is low and uh, he's not up there in the offensive numbers as well. But um know, yeah. he could still be a big time contributor especially you know if he can do the down and dirty stuff that um that's also much needed as well obviously um all right mm-hmm. the last guy we're going to talk about here um is uh jesper bachfist um his brother is adam Bockfist, is another guy we just talked about um but uh most notably uh so i didn't even realize this but i just Looked at his numbers in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, uh, the year before that, and he had 35 points in 51 games for Brynas IF, um, and that's pretty good. I remember like when we were talking about Elias Pettersson a couple of years ago, um, where like it took a while for uh, like you know that's a professional hockey league, uh, the SHL, so. Um, so the fact that he can, um, you know, he, he has 35 points in 51 games as a 20-year-old, uh, uh, that's that does well, that bodes well for him. Uh, this year, uh, he plays a bit for the NHL, uh, he had 35 games. Um, again, he has 10 minutes of ice time here, uh, but he had four goals uh, to show for it in those 35 games, no assists. Um, so that's not great, but again, 10 minutes of ice time, it's hard to really tell. Also, the New Jersey Devils aren't exactly the greatest team on earth, so uh, it's, it's tough to really uh, count that in for him. But uh, for Bingington, he, uh, he actually doesn't have that bad numbers here, um, where he has 11 points in 19 games, 8 of those, those points were goals. Um, so, so yeah, I think there is definitely some room for him to grow, and like we've mentioned with all these other wingers that we've talked about uh, before, with Nolan Foote and Michael McLeod. Um, in terms of wingers, it's like you know, they have they they have plenty of room to grow, especially on a team that's rebuilding. So um, there is definitely room for Bogfist to be in the top six or at least in the top nine, um, something like that. And um, but like there is high potential for him. And um, you could, I could see him being like a legitimate player in the league in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, uh, apparently the four on one is he can be quite dominant with the puck. And he's an offensive threat when on the top of his game. Um, skating and puck skills, very impressive. 50 player can score spectacular goals from time to time issues with consistency though and that's that's the key thing with a lot of players It comes down to okay uh, can you do it when there's no pressure on you okay what if there is pressure on you uh what if you got two or three guys on you do you still have the same composure um to do that do you have the same composure and the ability to execute? when you're just in the middle of a game where the puck is bouncing things aren't going your way uh nothing makes sense there's no flow to the game can you knuckle down and get the result that we that we're looking for so it's 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 those kind of things that in due time will will determine uh what the promising prospects are made of and uh this guy to be honest wasn't on my list originally but i do see the hype of this 21 year old um, you look at uh, their situation at left wing, there's Miles Wood, there's Jesper Brat. there's Kevin Rooney, and pretty much it if uh, they keep Jack Hughes at center. Um, so for the time being, they do have some roster holes to fill uh, that they didn't have when their season began. Um, it took him about two years to adjust to the SHL lifestyle. But like you said, Brett, he definitely did that this year. Uh, put up some big numbers, or uh, last year rather. This year, um, adjusting for the North American lifestyle and, and doing rather well uh, in the AHL uh, with eight goals and 11 points. He um, did have some bright spots um, in terms of um, NHL play. I think he had uh, four goals. Uh, in 34 games, if I remember correctly, yeah, four goals over its first 34 games for the Devils. So that's that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, guys in the prospect pool that could challenge his spot, I would say Mitch Holscher could be one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he played a critical role in the 67 second line with uh, Jack. Another Quinn.
1: 67.
0: <laughs> yeah, another 67. A projected top 10 pick. Uh, got 50 plus goals. Um, probably going to be hearing from him a lot in the in the coming day in the coming weeks and months there, Brett. Um, and a solid Plan B uh, behind Marco Rossi. Marco Rossi was the top center. Holshur was centering the second line. Um, the Devils have some gaps to fill at left wing, and I'm sure a bunch of options will be tested um, before they decide on what to do next. They, they, this team has a lot to figure out very, very soon in just a short amount of time. And, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, they orchestrate their roster and, yeah. uh, what role Jesper Bielfist um, has in that, uh, roster.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we're rounding down to two hours and 30 minutes here. So, uh, oh, well. we should probably get going here. Um, I was going to make a joke if, like, Why is, like, Ray Shiro a 67's, like, spy or something? I don't know. There's some connection. He's
0: he's been the team janitor this entire time. He never
1: and all And all this time, I didn't even talk about any 67 prospect, but I I didn't even know. Um, Although,
0: there'll be plenty of time to talk about that as
1: we get closer to the draft. Of course, yeah. and also, I was also gonna make a joke that, like, maybe P.K. Subban will be traded to the New York Islanders and then the Rangers and then the Ottawa Senators in that order, because uh, that's that's how it works, apparently. Um, but, yeah, um, so yeah, that about does it for us. Uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud at Lace 'Em Up. Or, or we're also on iTunes and Spotify. Um, or wherever you get your podcast, uh, wherever you're listening, um, I'm Brett. Oh, and our fa- Twitter is Lace em Up pod, pod. Our Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm
0: Steve Osrith. We'll talk again, in episode 218 of the Lace em Up Podcast.